there. I am Sue Elvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 68. And I'm doing something special again this week. I'm telling a few stories. If you've listened to last week's episode, you will know that my husband Andy is home for the school holidays. He's a school teacher and for two weeks he is at home with us and we're doing family things together and I haven't really got a lot of quiet free time. So I'm recording a couple of podcast episodes ahead of time and this week I'm telling a few more stories. Yes, I thought that I could either take a break from podcasting for a couple of weeks or pre-record a couple of episodes, do something different. So I hope you're going to enjoy listening to a few of my family stories. Maybe along the way you'll learn a few extra things about me and my family. Now this week I have chosen a few stories which I hope are full of the joy and love of being a mother. start with a story called Because I Am a Mother. Sometimes parenting can be very overwhelming. There are times in our lives when we worry that we can't keep up with it all. We have to take second place to that of our children. And I remember a time years ago when I had children of all ages, the youngest a baby, the eldest a teenager. And some days I was overwhelmed, very, very tired, and I couldn't see past that time. I thought I would be there forever, always tired, and a time would never come when I would have time to myself again. But of course, children do grow up, and life does change, and I'm in a totally different situation these days. I have a lot of free time, and when I look back on those days, I am glad that I spent all that time, all that energy, all that love focusing just on my children. Anyway, I'd like to share this story because I am a mother. Imogen asks, what would you like for lunch, mum? A sandwich or anything will be fine, I reply. A few minutes later, lunch is ready. We hurry to the table. And waiting for me on my plate is the last slice of the delicious three-cheese pizza we had for dinner last night. You didn't have to give me the leftover pizza, I say. Somebody else might have liked it. But we wanted you to have it, because you're the mother. You're special. I have no choice. My daughters are very bossy. I eat my pizza, and I enjoy. Later that day, after dinner, Sophie asks, Can I pour you a glass of wine? I'm about to say no, but Sophie is eager to do something for me. Yes, please, I'd love a glass of wine. Take your wine and go and sit in a comfortable chair, suggests Charlotte. But there's lots of dishes, I protest. I was going to help you with the washing up. We can do that, says Imogen. You're the mother. You go sit down. I'll forget how to work, I say. I'll become lazy. But the girls won't listen to me. You're very bossy, I observe. You're always telling me what to do. You girls never let me do what I want. The girls grin. They are in charge. 
So I take my wine and retire to a comfortable chair, and I think. I think about my daughters, who boss me about, who tell me what to do. It wasn't so long ago they were completely dependent upon me, and I had to do all the looking after. I remember all those nights I'd have to rouse myself to feed a baby, change a nappy, take a child to the toilet, change wet bed sheets, soothe away fears. I have to admit that sometimes I hadn't wanted to do any of that. I wanted to stay huddled down in my warm bed and stay asleep. I enjoyed all those baby cuddles and the little child smiles. But there were times when I yearned to knit or sew or go for a walk on my own, and I couldn't because I had little ones to look after. I was so eager to be a mother. I loved my young children so much, but some days I wanted to run away, even if only for a while. Sometimes it was just too hard. I struggled on. Trying to accept the sacrifices I had to make, I was certain life would never change. But life does change. Gemma Rose climbs onto my lap. She strokes my face and says, "You're tired." How do you know? I ask. You've got your tired face on. Being a mother must be hard work. It is hard work. It involves lots of sacrifices. Especially when children are small and dependent, but it's worth it. I love you, Mum. You're so special. Yes, I'm special. I'm special because I am a mother. That's a very privileged role to have. I wouldn't change who I am for anything. Would you? Story reminds me of another story: how to have demanding children who rule the house. I've spoken about this story in previous podcasts and actually quoted a few of the lines, but I don't think I told the whole story. So I hope you don't mind listening to this one. How to have demanding children who rule the house? Things people sometimes say. You're not feeding that baby again, are you? If you feed your baby to sleep, she'll never learn to go to sleep on her own. It won't hurt her to cry. You're not giving in to her again, are you? If you carry your baby around all the time, she'll never want to be put down. You're still feeding through the night. It's time you got your child into a routine. She might cry for a few nights, but it'll be worth it. When are you going to wean that child? It's not as if she needs your milk, you know. I wouldn't sleep with your baby if I were you. You'll never get your baby out of your bed. You're spoiling her. You're making a rod for your own back. Show her who's boss. You're in charge. She'll end up ruling the house, you know. She'll turn into a demanding child. I breastfed my babies whenever they needed it, all the way around the clock most times. I carried my children everywhere in my arms or in a sling, 
and later in a backpack. I slept with my little ones, snuggled up next to me in bed. Yes, there were times when I got tired of constantly seeing to the needs of my children. Some days I wanted my space back and yearned to have my arms free. Some nights I got fed up of being woken yet again by a hungry child who took up too much of the bed. I didn't always want to find a child at my breast every time I lowered myself into a chair. Sometimes I cried and wanted to run away. But I breastfed, carried, and slept with my children anyway. What happened? Did I end up with demanding kids who ruled the house? Yes, I did. I slipped through the back door trying not to make a sound. But moments later, my daughters appear. Mom, why didn't you tell us you were hanging the washing on the line? You're not allowed to do it by yourself. We want to help. I find an onion, a chopping board, and a knife. But before I have removed the onion skin, I hear a voice. Mom, what do you think you're doing? I'm making dinner tonight. Go and rest. As soon as dinner is finished, I head towards the sink and turn on the tap. Mom, that's my job. Someone, pour Mum a glass of wine and make her go sit down. I'm not allowed to do anything, I complain. Who's in charge around here? We are, my children shout with a grin. Yes, my children rule the house. Mom, I need a hug, says Gemma Rose as she climbs onto my lap. Can I have a hug? asks Imogen, opening her arms. Callum comes home from work. I need a hug, Mum. Small bodies wriggle inside the shelter of my arms. Bigger bodies enfold me inside theirs. It's never-ending. I lose count of the number of hugs I have to give my children each day. Yes, my children are very demanding. So how do we have demanding children who rule the house? Love them. Love them some more. See to their needs. All of them. Whatever it costs. Listen to them. And ignore all those things some people might say. Yes, you can see the similarities between that story and the last one. hugs reminds me of another story. This one's got to do with my son Callum. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you will know that Callum has left home. He's married. He's even moved quite a distance away from home now. But at the time I wrote this story, he was still living with us at home. He was working at our local Audi store. That was his job, trainee store manager. The story is called A Mother's Hug. I'm in bed reading. I want to turn the light off and go to sleep, but my son Callum hasn't arrived home from work yet. I glance at the clock every now and then and wonder where he is. Then just when I'm about to text him to make sure he's okay, I hear his car pull up on the driveway. I hear the key in the lock, a bag falling to the floor, a few footsteps on the tiles outside my bedroom, and then a knock on my door. 
Callum comes in and sinks on the edge of the bed. I was worried about you, I say. Sorry, Mum. I should have texted you. So many problems. Bad day? It was the worst day I've ever had. Worse than yesterday? Callum nods, and then his head sinks into his hands. A man died in the car park today. Yes, a man died in his car while waiting for his wife to finish her shopping. I crawl out of bed and wrap my arms around my son. He puts his head on my shoulder and puts his arms around me too. We hold each other tightly. I had to deal with the ambulance and the police and the wife. She was so distraught. I can no longer protect my son from the pain of the world. He's grown up. He's out there on his own. And my heart aches for him. We sit together quietly for a while. Then Callum says, I'll be okay. I release him from our embrace. And he gets up from the bed. I suppose I'd better go and get something to eat. Callum stops at the door and turns around. Thanks, Mum. He manages a small smile. Thanks for the hug. I can't put things right, however much I want to, but I can hug. Sometimes a mother's hug makes all the difference. Can I have a hug, please, Mum? I open my arms. Of course. things that I like to do with my son Callum is go out for coffee with him. At regular intervals, we head to a cafe together, order a couple of cappuccinos and catch up with each other's news. This story about Callum is called Sons, Scrapes and Love. Callum appears in the doorway. Mum, we haven't had any mother-son time recently. How about we walk up to the village for a coffee? We need to catch up. I sit across the table from my son, sipping my coffee, and I think about being a parent. It's not easy being a mother. Why do we long so much to have children? Yes, bringing up children provides so much joy. But why are we prepared to endure all the pain and heartache that inevitably comes along too? I look at my son and my thoughts turn to his childhood and the day of his birth. I didn't expect Callum to be born. When I went for his 18-week ultrasound and saw his little heart beating, I couldn't believe it. The baby is alive? I asked incredulously. The nurse looked rather puzzled. What had I expected? Contrary to my expectations, our baby made it all the way through 40 weeks of pregnancy and entered the world a beautiful, healthy child. I cradled Callum in my arms, thanking God for this gift, a blessing that seemed miraculous after four consecutive miscarriages. But I look back and remember how I nearly lost my gift through a moment's carelessness. When Callum was only a couple of weeks old, I set off in the car to visit a friend. I was eager to show off my precious baby. The friend lived on a hill, I parked the car, swung open the driver's door, and stepped out. I was about to open the rear door when I realized the car was in motion. It was moving slowly backwards down the hill, with Callum still fastened inside. 
In a split second, I saw it all: the car moving, the car gathering speed, and the car crashing at the bottom of the hill, complete with my baby. I held myself back through the driver's door and managed to press my foot on the brake just in time. I pulled on the handbrake tightly, gathered up my son, and headed towards my friend's house. I felt very shaky, and I couldn't stop thinking: what if I hadn't been able to stop the car? Callum's next adventure occurred when he was a toddler. We were visiting my friend Sarah. Sarah and I were happily engrossed in a conversation. All our children were happily playing together. Well, at least we thought they were. Then the doorbell rang. "Does this little boy belong here?" asked a man, holding Callum by the hand. I was driving by, and I found this little fellow walking down the centre of the road. The centre of the road. I was horrified. Sarah lived on a fairly busy street. How did Callum manage to escape? Feeling like a really bad mother, I thanked the man profusely for returning my little boy. One day, when Callum was nearly three, we visited my sister Barbie, who used to live in a beautiful designer house, complete with a very steep set of stairs leading down to the bedrooms on a lower level. Was there a gate? Protecting the stairs, I can't remember, but I do remember seeing Callum fall head over heels down the stairs. One moment he was at the top, and a sickening moment later, he'd hit the bottom. A long way down, I screamed and burst into tears. I was absolutely sure he was dead. I could not believe any child could survive such a fall. Then through my tears. I saw Callum pick himself up and look rather uncertainly around. I flew down the stairs and gathered him up. He'd bounced. He wasn't even bruised. Callum's misfortunes didn't end with toddlerhood. When Callum was about thirteen, he had an accident involving his sister Charlotte and two bikes. Charlotte and Callum were cycling around our house in different directions. All went well for a while. And then there was a big crash and a huge scream. I ran outside to find two mangled bikes and two children sprawled on the ground. I gathered up seven-year-old Charlotte. My ear, my ear! He ran right over my ear. Callum! I shouted. I gathered Charlotte into my arms. How many times have I told you to ride in the same direction as your sisters? I took Charlotte into the house to examine the damage. Callum followed us in. After I determined there wasn't much wrong with the ear, I noticed Callum was looking very pale. He was clutching his arm. I think I've broken my arm, Mum. After spending two hours in the waiting room of the accident and emergency department of the hospital, we finally saw a doctor. I told him the story of the bike crash. Did you put ice on the arm? No. I hadn't thought about ice. I hadn't thought about painkillers. A short while later, we were returning home. Callum had his arm in plaster, and I felt like a very bad mother. But the arm healed. But one day, a few months later, Callum came hopping into the house, tears of pain in his eyes. I was running up the back steps and stubbed my toe. His big toe was broken, and Callum was on crutches. For two months, 
I remember other times when Callum got himself into trouble. He was in danger of drowning at the beach. He badly burnt the skin on his tummy. He ran at neck break speed into a head-high taut wire and narrowly escaped decapitating himself. He absorbed most of a gravel road into his legs after falling off a bike. The other day, Callum and I were reminiscing. You haven't broken any bones for a while, I remarked. Callum grinned. No, but I'm still getting myself into scrapes. They're just more grown-up kind of scrapes. What kind of scrapes? But no, I have been sworn to secrecy. Callum is still getting himself into trouble, and my heart still aches as I have to stand to one side and let him experience the trials of the adult world. Our coffee cups are nearly empty. Callum is telling me a funny story. I look at his gorgeous smile and his lit-up face. Did I really grow him from a tiny baby? Is he really mine? I think again of the questions I am pondering. Why am I so willing to endure all the pain of being a mother? Why would I be prepared to suffer it all over again? And I know the answer. I have known it all along. The answer is love. The story about when Callum bumped into Charlotte when they were riding their bikes around our house, can be found in my children's novel, The Angels of Abbey Creek. Yes, I used that story as a basis for one of the chapters. You can find that book on Amazon. Now, the last story I would like to tell you today is another story where my heart was touched. Our mother's hearts are very soft. Sometimes I wonder how we're going to survive parenting. It's just as well we do love very much. This story is called Breeding Like Mice. It's a story mainly about my eldest daughter, Felicity. At least, it begins with her. It began with a cage, a cage Felicity dragged all the way home from town. It was large and heavy, and by the time she reached our house, one of her arms was longer than the other. I'd already said, no mice. But the cage was such a bargain, Mum, and the boys would love a mouse. We have a cage now. We might as well get a mouse. Or two. What do you think, Mum? I should have said no. I should have sent the cage straight back to the St. Vincent de Paul shop. Some other family could have bought it and had a mouse adventure instead of us. But I looked at all the begging eyes staring at me and promised to take everyone to town to look at mice. Of course, we couldn't buy just one mouse. No, that mouse would have been far too lonely and that would have been very cruel. Or so I was told. So we came back with two mice. Soon two little mice were running around the mouse wheel, delighting everyone. But Mum, the cage is so big, it's big enough for a few more mice. We returned to the pet shop. The cage and six male mice took up residence in the boys' bedroom. This was a problem. 
The boys' bedroom is a no-go zone for girls. We never get to see the mice, Mum. One little girl complained. We need some mice of our own. So it was back to the pet shop where we bought a new adventure playground type cage with tunnels and wheels and all sorts of interesting attachments. This time we bought two female mice, and soon they were settled in their new home in one of the girls' bedrooms. Life ran smoothly for a while, except for the occasional breakout from the male mice cage. The mice being slightly smaller than the gap between the bars. Which side of the cage are these mice supposed to be on? Andy would roar at regular intervals, and a boy would come running to return the escapees to the safety of their cage and away from the threat of mice traps and bait. Eventually, the mice grew big and fat, and the boys were able to relax. Then Felicity had her bright idea. Mum. It would be very educational if we bred mice. We could keep records, you know, of all the different traits. It would be just like a genetics experiment. But what would we do with all the babies? Sell them to the pet shop. I saw a sign the other day: "Mice wanted." I should have said no, but I didn't. Soon we had numerous tiny hairless bundles of newborn mice life occupying the female cage. With two happy mothers, the children were fascinated. All the facts and figures were dutifully recorded in scientific notebooks, and it looked like the breeding program was going to turn into a very successful learning experience. Soon it came time to sell the baby mice and make a small pocket money fortune. How much do you think we'll make? What shall we buy? Felicity was sent down to the pet shop. To negotiate the business deal, but mice wanted had turned into no mice needed at the moment. She came home and hardly dared tell me the unwelcome news. What would we do with all our little rodents? The first thing we had to do was separate the males from females. Felicity did the sorting. Are you sure you can tell a female from a male? I asked, but Felicity seemed confident. Some time later, we realized she wasn't very good at sexing. She'd overlooked a male. Soon we were back down at the pet shop buying another cage, and then another. It was turning into a nightmare. Our mouse population was increasing at an enormous rate. However carefully we tried to separate males from females, a male always seemed to end up in the wrong cage. What were we going to do? One afternoon, I sat down with the children and we talked about the problem. None of the pet shops wanted mice. None of our friends wanted mice, and we couldn't keep them all. We'd end up with dozens of cages of mice all around the house, and they were beginning to smell really bad. How about we let the mice be country mice? I suggested. We lived on the edge of a farm. Over the fence was a paddock of cows and plenty of country mice. We could take all the mice down to the paddock and let them go free. They'd much prefer to live in the paddock than in a small cage, I'm sure. The kids weren't so sure. What if they come back into the house and Dad catches them in his mouse traps? We'll walk right into the paddock," 
far from the house before we set them free. Nobody could think of a better plan, so we put this one into action. The older children carried the cages. The younger ones took food and water. Just so they have something to eat while they learn to be country mice. They've never had to find food on their own before. The mice were set free, and everyone trooped back to the house. We sat staring out the window, looking at the paddock, and then tears started falling from the girls' eyes. Soon the slowly rolling tears turned into rivers running down little cheeks, and howls and sobs erupted. And I cried too, a big lump in my throat. I hugged little bodies close, and I felt them heave with grief. The girls cried for their lost pets, the little mice who scampered up and down their arms and scurried down tunnels and who set wheels revolving. They cried for the loss of their dream. They never imagined it would end so sadly. And I cried for the girls. I wouldn't miss the constant cry of, More babies, we need another cage, Mum. And I wouldn't miss the smell. In fact, I was secretly rather glad we were once again a mouseless family. But my mother's heart was breaking because of my girl's tears. A mother's heart. How resilient a mother's heart needs to be. How many times will mine break as each child grows up? At the death of a pet, when a child gets teased or left out, when she is sick, when she fails, and I have to stand quietly by, when she leaves home and my job is done. All that is left of those mice is a rather blurry photo. Gemma Rose was a baby at the time, and so she can't remember those mice. She will tell me she has never had a mouse as a pet like the others. What will I do if she looks at me with those huge blue eyes and makes an appeal? Will I say yes when I vowed to say no? I hope not, but nothing is certain. Am I the only mother with a too soft heart? hope you've enjoyed the stories that I have told today in this episode. I'll put links to those stories in the show notes, just in case you would like to go and read them for yourselves. Of course, the show notes will be on my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. Now, next week, I'll probably get back to my usual kind of podcast. It will be the end of the school holidays. I'll probably have lots of stories that I want to share with you about what's been happening during the last couple of weeks. Maybe I'll have a few new resources to share as well, because I'm going to spend a little bit of time during the holidays doing a bit of browsing, looking for some interesting things that might tempt my girls for the new term. Of course, you can find me on iTunes, Podbean, Pinterest, Instagram, on my Facebook timeline, on Amazon and other places around the internet. If you would like to stop by my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family, to leave a comment or just to say hello, please do. I'd love to see you there. And if you have time to write a review of my podcast, 
I would really appreciate that. You can do that on iTunes. So I hope you all have a good week, and I'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you for listening to this one. Until next week, trust, respect, and love unconditionally. Thank you.